I want you to know it's so good to see all of you here. Would you just be seated as we just go before the Lord now in prayer? So just as we have sung to lead us to the cross earlier from Psalm 46, as you bow your heads and close your eyes, let Psalm 46 be your basis for prayer this morning. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, and though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, through its waters and roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. So would you right now just praise God that he is our refuge and strength. Would you praise him for protection and perseverance in the midst of the calamity of the storm? Would you exalt the name of Jesus? Would you now just take some time to cherish God for his faithfulness? Would you thank him that he has been faithful to you? And take a minute now to confess any sin that the Spirit of God brings to your mind. Don't rationalize it, but as God brings these matters of words or actions or hard attitude or perhaps even a deep-seated, entrenched issue of sin, would you confess this to the Lord, turn from it, trust in him for his power and forgiveness. So do that now. And for that troubling issue in your life, something perhaps you've struggled with for some time now, would you talk to the Lord about this? Would you ask him to give you his perspective, an eternal perspective on these matters, peace, his strength to move forward, even without all the answers. Would you thank the Lord for grace, that indeed, as we have sung, that his grace is enough. Would you right now pray and ask God to bring an end to this pandemic? To accomplish his purposes in the midst of it. And to protect us. As we begin this school year, and we've had a number of students going back to classes this week, we have all of the students coming back this upcoming week all the Baylor University students. Lord, you've brought us to this point and we're asking for your protection. We're asking for strength, wisdom, for just a strong sense of your shepherding care for every student and teacher and administrator and coach. This opportunity that we have come to just gather, whether online or in person, Lord, we do so to just say that we love you and we're here to exalt the name of Jesus. 
this offering that we've presented to you, whether we placed it in a box when we walked in or we've given online or we've mailed it in, Lord, this is an expression of our devotion to you is say, God, you are worthy of all and we love you. And so now, Lord, as we turn to your holy word, we're asking that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, that you would take your word and through the working of your spirit, that you'd bring transformation through the lives of your people. And so we ask this as we pray expectantly. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is so good to see all of you here. And for all of you who are joining us online, I tell you what, we are so glad that we have the privilege of gathering together. If you take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, we are continuing looking at this series as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount of kingdom living in a broken world. And that is exactly what Christians need to know. How is it in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of all the social and racial tension that exists within our country, how are we supposed to live? What is our role in our family? What is our role in schools, in our jobs? In fact, if you do not have clarity as to your role as a disciple of Jesus Christ, there likely is a lot of confusion Chances are you have already just gone into kind of a ambiguity. Uh, you are trying to almost like a chameleon. You're just trying to match into your surroundings. You, cause you don't even know how you were supposed to live. And I want you to know that Jesus wants the exact opposite. That's why he gives us two word pictures in Matthew chapter five, verses 13 through 16 to actually show us and to tell us this is how we are to live. If I were to reduce it down to one word, the one word is influence. The mandate from Jesus Christ that God wants his people, his disciples, moving forward and influencing the culture and the societies we live is found right here when Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. And our life as a believer in Christ is not meant to be lived in isolation. Rather, the Beatitudes, like we've looked at them this summer, are to be fully expressed as we're trusting in Christ to demonstrate the character of God, his goodness and his greatness, the transformation that he brings for those who are trusting in him. And so we have an amazing privilege. The disciples' privilege is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Look what he says, you are the salt of the earth. Our privilege is to be the salt of the earth. Now, salt was very valuable in Jesus' time. It came from a couple different sources, like the Dead Sea. Uh, this, the, salt, the water on the Dead Sea is seven times saltier than seawater. And so what they would do is they would uh, evaporate that water, and that would leave them with salt. There also was nearby areas where they would actually mine salt. And so salt was very valuable. It had a mul- lots of different purposes. One of the Romans um, actually thought that salt was, next to the sun, the most valuable substance that there was. Even Roman soldiers and officers had a, an allowance that was paid in salt. Uh, the Latin word for salt is sol. Uh, the soldiers were given a salarium. It was an allowance paid in salt. So, For those of you who make a salary, that's where it comes from, the word salt. And so if you've ever heard this, 
that person is not worth their salt. You ever heard that? You're like, what in the world? Where did that come from? It came from the value of salt all the way back from the Roman Empire. You're not worth what you're being paid. You're not worth your salt. And so when Jesus says that you are the salt of the earth, there are a variety of images that would flood the minds of the disciples. And that's who he's speaking to. Remember Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. He's telling his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. The first thing that would perhaps come to their mind is that salt is a preservative. And so before the advent of refrigeration, how you kept your meat from spoiling is you would rub salt in it. Because sodium chloride is a very stable chemical substance, okay? So it doesn't break down easily. And so they would rub that into the meat, and you could keep your meat a long time. When Jesus says you're the salt of the earth, he's speaking the fact that we are his people and we are those who preserve not only the faith that has been once for all given to the saints like Jude speaks of, but we also preserve the values as God has defined him. Ethics, morals, what we do as, as believers, as the salt of the earth, we prevent or we slow the decay So, for instance, like in our country, we're redefining values. What God has to say about family relationships, about marriage, we're all about redefining them. As the salt of the earth, we preserve life as God has defined it and designed it. After all, he would know best, right? You are the salt of the earth. Another uh, purpose of salt is that it was a purifying agent, an antiseptic. It would make things clean. And so if you had a wound to keep from infection, you would put salt in it. Now, it'd sting, hurt a little bit, but it's a lot better than the alternative. As the salt of the earth, we provide the opportunity to address evil. We step into the evils and and the pain and the problems and the hurt and all the damage in a person's life or even society because we are the salt of the earth. We provide help. Another image that would come to the mind of the individual, the believer that was hearing this when Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, is that salt gives flavor. And this is probably what we first think of in today's society. Like, wow, salt brings out the flavor of something. So like, for instance, if you have like some fine brisket, not to make you too hungry here, but you know, like quality stuff, you know, somebody that actually knows what they're doing and they set all that brisket in front of you. And what do you do? You take that salt shaker and you put just a little bit of salt on there, right? And then you take a few bites of that. And this is what you do not say. You don't say like, wow, that is great salt. Does anybody do that? No. What do you say? That is awesome brisket. Man, I need more of that. That's what salt does. It brings out flavor. And that's the role of the Christian. We bring out flavor in life, God's flavor. In our jobs, in our homes, we show joy. We show stability, the fruit of the Spirit. We demonstrate integrity. We demonstrate a life that is lived in relationship with God. Salt, like if you were functioning as salt in your small group, people in that group don't go like, whoa, that gal just knows everything about the Bible. Or that guy just really showed me up by just how much he seems to know. 
Now, how salt works is this. Wow. God's truth is amazing. Isn't it a wonder who God is and how he works? And then another thing that comes to mind when Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, you know what salt does? It creates thirst. You have some salt? What do you need to do? I'm thirsty. And so you drink. When Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, he's saying, my people create a thirst for me. You know, that's how it works. Think about just in your own life. I have a feeling there were people who lived out the role of salt and made you thirsty for God. That's true in my life. Oh, yeah, I knew a few things about God. Then I came to understand the gospel. I could even explain the gospel that Jesus Christ died, paid the penalty for sin, rose again on the third day, believe in him, you can have eternal life. But it really wasn't until I saw people living as salt that made me really thirst for God. You, as a disciple, you are the salt of the earth. You've perhaps heard that statement, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, right? I mean, even this guy in our church that's doing everything he can to get that horse to drink, he just just can't get it done, right? But what can you do? You know what you can do? You can give that horse salt. Because when a horse has salt, all of a sudden, guess what? We're thirsty now. And that is God's divine design for his people. We are the salt of the earth. God's primary means of bringing the gospel to a lost humanity, kingdom citizens in a broken world, is that we fulfill our role as the salt of the earth. You see, we function as the salt of the earth when people can see the Savior in our lives. That's our role. That's how we are to live. And so, friends, what we do is we live out who we are in Christ. We exalt and enjoy God. When you are personally extolling the goodness and the greatness of God, when you're experiencing God's goodness, you enjoy relationship with him, what happens is that your life emanates this kind of truth. It's contagious. It's kind of like John Piper who took a kind of a key tenet of the theology of Jonathan Edwards, and he put it down in this one very memorable statement when he said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. You see, when our souls savor Christ, when they're satisfied, when we're at rest, when we're not always at war all the time, when we're growing in godliness and that personal experience of resting and knowing the goodness of God and actually believing and living in his love, you know what happens? Friends, we actually show the world what it means to be the salt of the earth. People see it. They taste it. They want more. And notice what he says. You are the salt of the earth. The kingdom of heaven doesn't need salt. Where, what needs the salt? The earth. 
And it's, he says, you are the salt of the earth. And he's telling you already are. If you're a disciple of Christ, if you're a true believer, you already are salt. You don't have to like, well, I've got to become salt now that I'm a Christian. No, if you are a Christian, you are salt. But also notice what he says, you. And that you is plural. So when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are, like Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But that's like one grain of salt. And yes, it can make a difference. Just even one little grain. But a whole collection, like a whole salt shaker, why that can make a significant difference in the world. And that's what God intended. That we would be connecting in community. That God would have his people united. That together, we would be living out the faith. We would be encouraging one another. And we would be engaging the world and all the different ways that he said. You see, we are to put the character of Christ on display. And we do that by enjoying God and living in his presence, worshiping him, growing in him, following him, and making disciples. Woodrow Wilson, I was doing some reading, the 28th president of the United States, had a very unique encounter that he spoke of. And let me just tell you about this scene that transpired in a barbershop. Woodrow Wilson said this, I was sitting in a barber chair when I came, became aware that a powerful personality had entered the room. A man had come quietly in upon some errand as myself to have his hair cut and sat in the chair next to me. Every word the man uttered, though it was not in the least didactic, showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him. That's really important. And before I got through with what was being done to me, I was aware that I had attended an evangelistic service because Mr. D.L. Moody, a, a Christian evangelist, was in that chair. I purposely lingered in the room after he had left and noted the singular effect that his visit had brought upon the barbershop. They talked in undertones. They did not know his name, but they knew something had elevated their thoughts. And I felt... I left that place as I should have left a place of worship. What was taking place there? They were sensing the savor of the Savior. They were tasting the salt of the earth. Recently, a young lady in our church shared a little bit of her story with me. Some of the great difficulties of a a very difficult home life. And of one particular individual that made such a significant difference. I was so amazed by her story. I said, would you email me this? Just a part of it. So I could share this with the church. Listen to this. She writes, Ruth, a simple name for an extraordinary woman. Ruth was a young woman, likely early 20s, who took time every Saturday to phone a young 13-year-old girl to confirm that she was picking me up the next morning for church. She drove across town to retrieve me and drive me another 20 minutes to church and back home afterwards. Ruth saved my life without even knowing it. Without Ruth, I would not have answered an altar call. That call changed my life. I knew in that moment everything changed. One, I realized just how much Ruth cared, and two, God had plans for me, good plans that didn't involve drugs and violence, but instead, love 
and safety. Ruth took me to church every Sunday for about a year. That year was a life changer. To me, at the time, she was a sweet younger woman who for some reason wanted to take me to church, a place I craved. She invested in me unlike anyone ever had. I think of her often. I would love to tell her today what she means to me. God knew I needed Ruth. Ruth showed up in a big way. I wish everyone could have a Ruth. Who is Ruth? Ruth is the salt of the earth. Think about your life. When I think about how I came to Christ, it was meeting people who were the salt of the earth that whet my appetite. I think back in high school, even though I was far from God, there was a family that would have me over and others. You know what they demonstrated to me? What it really looks like to love Jesus and to love people. And since I placed my faith in Christ, I want you to know it's those who really are fulfilling their role as the salt of the earth that have been such an encouragement to me, who have given me an example of what it means to walk with Jesus. Friends, we function as the salt of the earth when people see the Savior in our lives. This is the disciples' great privilege. But I also want you to know that the disciples also have a priority of developing a Christ-centered life. You're familiar with Matthew 5.13a, right? You are the salt of the earth. But do you know what comes next? Look at the whole verse. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You see, we have a priority in life, not to end up ineffective. And he says this, you know, what happens, though, if the salt becomes tasteless? How does it become salty again? So wait a second, what is Jesus talking about? Sodium chloride in itself actually doesn't break down. So you don't lose your saltiness because somehow the sodium chloride broke down, what happens is you lose your effectiveness when salt gets mixed in with other things. And this would happen rather frequently. So, for instance, salt that was mined, um, it could be brought, there's a mineral called gypsum, and other minerals could get mixed up with that pure salt. And what would happen is, like, you would taste it, and like, bleh, leave a flat taste in your mouth. And it didn't do a lot of good with the meat because it didn't preserve it. Another thing that could happen where salt could lose its saltiness is that unscrupulous folks that lacked integrity, you know what they did? They would put mixed white sand with salt so they could sell more, right? But of course, you know, when you bit into that, you ever chewed on sand? It's terrible. And it didn't have its effect. And you know what they would do with salt that lost its saltiness? They would throw it on their paths and use it to kill weeds. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. If the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Friends, I want you to know when Jesus says you're the salt of the earth, indeed it's true, and you cannot lose your salvation. When you've placed your faith in Christ, God gives you what? Eternal life. But I want you to know that you can lose your effectiveness as a Christian. And I'll tell you how it happens. 
when the purity of life in Christ gets mixed in with all the values and the pursuits of the world. And it doesn't really have the effect that you're supposed to have. You move from a surrendered life where you come to Christ and say, God, I'm a sinner and I surrender all to you. And you start moving into the self-centered life. And I want you to know that that actually happens with Christians, perhaps even a lot of them. You, You begin with Christ absolutely broken, broken over your sin, trusting in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. And initially there's growth and you move forward, but I want you to know that the things of this world are rather alluring. And, you know, maybe after a few years, you're like, oh, I think I want to dive back into these values. And you can actually become a person that, that basically lives as if you had never been rescued. Friends, God wants us to take him seriously, to take our role seriously, that we are the salt of the earth. And can I tell you something? Choose your friends wisely, your, your close friends wisely, because so often you end up like your close friends. You need a couple Bible verses on that, like 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse 22. He says, now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. I tell you what, life is difficult out there. We need encouragement. We need to link shoulders with people that are going in the same direction. I want all of us to have non-Christian, non-believing friends in our lives because we need to influence them. We need to present the gospel to them. But your closest friends, the ones you're really going to find encouragement, the ones that are going to help motivate and shape your values and your life, make sure they're believing friends. Like it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. He says this, Do not Be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. And it happens. See, we cannot influence the world for God if we're worldly ourselves. It just doesn't happen. So how do we cultivate a Christ-centered life? Well, one thing you want to do is just stay close to the Savior. And you want to be in the Word regularly, where God's Word will renew your perspective Your heart will be encouraged through prayer. It's to savor the sweetness of God. You, after all, are the salt of the earth. You resonate best when you're in tune with God. I find, you know, I'm busy just like you are. Like if you like, oh, I'm just too busy to have a quiet time or a devotional time with God, right? Well, you don't lose your salvation, but don't you find that you just get a little bit off and you lack peace and you're off kilter? Friends, the Christ-centered life is learning to enjoy God and to enjoy a special, just even just a special part of the day with him. And make no compromise with sin. Don't rationalize it. Don't like, well, you know, everybody kind of lives this way. No, when God brings these things to your attention, you want to address them. And another thing just to cultivate a Christ-centered life is seek to influence the people that God has placed in your life. You need to be proactive. You've got to reject passivity. He doesn't want closet Christians. He is calling us, in fact, giving us a mandate for influence. And one of the best ways of doing this is see your whole life as a ministry. See all of your life as a ministry, not just, well, I've got a ministry at church. And so maybe that's something that I do at church. That's my ministry. That's great. We encourage every person to have at least one ministry. 
But see your whole life as a ministry with your family, how you function at work, in our schools, at the university, in our neighborhoods. See your life as a ministry. Do that this week and see what a difference it looks like when you're starting to focus like, after all, I'm the salt of the earth. And so, friends, if we don't do this, if we ignore this verse, our testimony becomes diminished. And it's kind of like gypsum has been mixed in with the salt, and we're going to lack effectiveness. You see, as the church, we're not to move with the world. We're to move the world. And even in Christianity today, there is just this whole big push to just keep it at an entertainment value to create celebrity status, just to get people, keep them amused, give them a few things that make them feel good about themselves and how to improve their life. Jesus is saying, actually, you are the salt of the earth. I want you to move forward in grace and truth and demonstrate what it means to know the living God. That means that we've got to take all of our life and see Christ at the center. Years ago, I read a little booklet called My Heart, Christ's Home. Maybe you've read it. It's written by a guy by the name of Robert Munger. It's a real clever, fanciful tale of a guy who invites Jesus to have full reign in his home. And so they use a parallel of a guy walking through the different parts of his house and bringing Jesus with him because he's like, he sells Jesus. In fact, it's written in the book. Lord, I want this heart of mine to be yours. I want to have you settle down here and be perfectly at home. Everything I have belongs to you. Let me show you around, okay? So here's this Christian, and he's like, Lord, I want you to be at home in every aspect of my life. So they go to the first room, and it's the study. And there's all these books lined up in the library, and there's different magazines on the table and pictures on the wall. And at first, the guy, you know, the guy's feeling pretty good, and Jesus is kind of looking around. He kind of picks up some of these magazines, and the guy's starting to get like a little nervous about that. And then he's just like, oh, <laughs> whoa. I hadn't really thought of it from Jesus' perspective. And they kind of look at all that's taking place there, and suddenly the guy realizes that a lot of the stuff just really isn't all that helpful or even beneficial or worse. And Jesus asks him, would you like me to help you develop your mind, which is what the study is? He's like, yeah, I would. And so Jesus teaches this man to fill his mind with the word and those things that are absolutely true and good, worthy, and valuable. Well, they move on to the next room, the dining room of appetite. And on the menu there uh, are prestige and materialism and lust. It's a worldly menu. And on the other hand, what Jesus then can provide is humility and meekness, and love, and other virtues. And so Jesus helps him change his desire, his appetite, his dining room. Well, the next room they go to is the living room of fellowship. And this is where the man would spend time with Jesus. He made it a priority to spend time with Jesus. But that had actually kind of slipped away. In fact, it pretty much had been neglected. He'd just kind of leave Jesus there in the living room, and he'd go on to his busy day. And uh, it was a reminder, this isn't how it's supposed to be. Well, then Jesus um, and this man go to the workshop where the man uses all of his education and his gifts and his talent and the tools that he's he's, um, collected for work, meaningful work. 
work for the kingdom. But when they're at the workshop, even though it's filled with lots of great possibilities, the only thing this guy has made are a few little toys for like children, just a few of them on a, on a work table there. And Jesus said, uh, would, you, would you like to do better and more meaningful work in the kingdom? And the guy goes, I would, but I, I don't even know how. And Jesus says, let me show you through the working of my spirit how I can help and give you courage and faith to put you on a different trajectory. Well, then Jesus um, asks a question um, that he didn't want to be asked and says, do you have a, a recreation room? We might refer to it as an entertainment room. And this guy's like, oh, I, I don't really want to go there. Jesus said, I'd, I'd like to see it. And uh, sure enough, this, this guy had some, some activities that he was involved in that he really felt very uncomfortable even thinking that the Savior knew about these things. And he had some friends that he ran with at different times that were going completely in the wrong direction. And yet Jesus said, I'd, I'd like to see. And then he said, hey, how about we go out tomorrow night? But then there was, as they were going through the house, there was this stench. Oh, it's terrible. It smelled like death because it was. It was in the closet. And the man really didn't want Jesus opening the closet. In fact, he became angry and embarrassed. No, I don't want you going in there. Because hidden in the closet were these secret sins, and especially some past sins that had so devastated him. And it was death, and it reeked. But Jesus said, no, I need to help you clean out the closet. And he did. And so the little book ends with the man giving the title deed of his, of his home and everything to Jesus. And the final sentence in this little booklet says this, things are different since Jesus Christ has settled down and made his home in my heart. And friends, that's what God wants to do. It's like the prayer that you find in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, where it says that, May God grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that he's alive and he's well and he's at home in every aspect of your life. You're a Christ-centered individual because, after all, you are the salt of the earth. In your personal life, what you think about, in your relationships, your family, how you treat people, how you go about your job. I, I can tell you, you know what we really need in our schools? We need God's people showing up as the salt of the earth. That's what we need, and that's who we are. And so Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. And that means that we need to open up every area of our life to God. I've written down some ideas. There are no particular order. But areas we need to open up and yield to God for developing a Christ-centered life. First, it starts with our own spiritual life, your, your fellowship with God. Do you really invite Jesus to make the most of your time together? You don't want to get into this like pattern like, oh, I just got to read my Bible so I can feel better about myself. That's like legalism. No, God wants you to enjoy him, to learn from him. And so just open it up and say, God, would you accomplish your work 
in my life. I want to know the sweetness and the vibrancy that comes from you. I want to put this as a part of my schedule. I'm another area. Your physical appearance, your abilities, your capabilities, your challenges. There's so many people that like actually resent what they look like, the challenges they have, or they're so fixated and fascinated, like, oh, I'm such a beautiful person, I can't take enough pictures of myself and send them to everybody. Um, let's invite Jesus to help us just to be at peace with him. You know, he's formed and fashioned you exactly the way he wants you. There's so many people that are just living with this deep-seated resentment of, I look like this, or I've got this challenge. Just open it up to Jesus. Let's see what he'll do with it. Another area, your thought life. What is it that you really think about and allow your mind to dwell on? Do you really think that's going to make you a woman of God or a man of God? Another area. Your ethics and your morals. Invite Jesus to help you understand, are these really reflective of your ethics and morals? Or am I just kind of making this up as I go and whatever I see taking place on social media or what my friends think are a good idea? Another area is your attitudes toward people, your job, your schoolwork. Ask God, Lord, I want to open up my attitudes to you. Would you shape them the way you want them? And related to that are your emotions. Ask the Lord, would you help me with my emotions? So you're not just like a, like a plastic bag being whipped around in the wind, but that you're actually tethered to God. And you're asking the Lord to help you process and to experience his joy and happiness and the issues of anger and disappointment and discouragement. Lord, I invite you into these areas in my life. Another is your conversation or your social life. Ask the Lord, hey, Lord, I I want you to to shape my abilities to encourage people, to build them up, rather than to just tear people down. Another one you may not think of is your ministry. You know, so often uh, people start and they engage in in a ministry and and they're like great faith and they're moving forward, but then all of a sudden they're serving the Lord. But you know what? Sometimes people's ministry, it actually becomes about them and not the Savior. They're doing it because it makes me feel good. And people think really highly of me when they see me or they see me serving in this capacity. Say, Lord, would you just help me to see myself as a servant? I invite you into my ministry. Another is your relationships. Ask God to help you continue to grow as a person that's caring and committed to the people in your life. There may be someone that you need to forgive. I can assure you on your own, you're not going to be able to do it. But in his strength, through him, all things are possible. And it's probably what is needed. Here's a, here's a big one. Your past. There are lots of people that um, they believe in Christ and they believe that Jesus has forgiven them of their sins. But they've got this past issue, some sort of deep sin. And yes, they would check the box, I'm forgiven of it, but it beats them up on a regular, if not a daily basis. It's the closet. Just invite Jesus and say, God, I turn all of this over to you. And I believe the gospel. 
If you want some verses about how God sees you, you might want to write down Hebrews 8.12 or Hebrews 10.17. God never sees you in your sin, always in the Son. He loves you. He wants you to experience his goodness, his freedom, his joy. And then just a final one, are your goals and dreams. Are your goals in life, are your dreams, are they oriented all about you and your best life? Or are they about God and his glory. Friends, Jesus is with us and we can trust him and he intends to accomplish his purpose in our life, but it all gets started with this. You are the salt of the earth. Several years ago, I was meeting with a man in our church helping him with foundations for leadership and one of the things we worked on is a a vision statement, a mission statement for his life. And he came back and he read this to me. I thought it was pretty good. Listen to what he said. This is what I want to do with my family. Uh, my career, he actually has a pretty significant platform. This was his, and is to this day, his mission statement. To demonstrate Christ's love to others by his abundant love, by letting his abundant love flow and overflow through me. Not too bad. You know what that is, don't you? It's the salt of the earth. So friends, savor Christ and see yourself as salt. Wherever God has you, savor Christ and see yourself as salt. In his book, The Enormous Exception, uh, Earl Palmer writes of a pre-med undergrad at UC Berkeley who is trying to struggle with especially um, organic chemistry and how rigorous that is. But to make matters worse of all his tough school load, he became very ill For 10 days, he couldn't even go to class. He could barely function. But there was one of the students in the class. They became aware of this this guy's um, sickness, didn't even know him very well. And he collected all of the assignments, took all the notes, and brought it to him every day and taught him so he wouldn't fall behind and fail. What that guy did had a tremendous influence on this student, who described himself and as, a, as an agnostic, full of all sorts of doubts about God. But this student, who happened to be a Christian, with no fanfare, just actually cared and ministered and invested in this young man's life. Later on, this same pre-med student eventually became a committed Christian and told Earl Palmer of this experience that he had with this, this Christian. And this is what he said this pre-med student. He says, you know, that this just isn't done, and I probably wouldn't have done it, but he gave me that help without any fanfare or complaints. I wanted to know what made this friend of mine act the way he did. I found myself asking him if I could go to church with him. And then Palmer wrote, I think the best tribute I ever heard concerning a Christian was the tribute spoken of this student. Listen to this. I felt more alive when I was around this friend. Friends, that's what the salt of the earth is. People feel more alive. Why? Because we're living out our role as the salt of the earth. So every time that you see a salt shaker on a table, let it serve as a reminder of our role in this world, the salt of the earth. We function as the salt of the earth when people... See the Savior in our lives. Let's pray. Lord.